what can AI do for you? It's unthinkable. Like, I was trying to build my own ChatGPT <laughs> uh, custom um, bot thing. And I was like, what? what do I want AI to do for me? And I think it comes back to maybe things like, you know, helping me invest or helping me do like, you know, personal finance, things that I typically, you know, find it hard to do. Like that's what I want AI to kind of give me some advice, right? Um, but in terms of knowledge gathering, I feel like immersing yourself in the space of people who work in this is, is truly one of the better ways because then you kind of absorb what they know um and secondly working in the space so if you can you know get yourself in companies that truly want to harness the power of ai it's already the way to go because everything you build will be ai based and ai led or you know or with the usage of ai and i think courses courses help because then it gives you the foundation and it gives you the theory um but i feel like when it comes to application it's still like you're going to have to learn it on the job as well. So like even when I did, you know, the courses on how to use automatic 1111, you know, stable diffusion, it was also like, it was it was a lot to read. And you, you kind of like go to Reddit and you're like scanning how do people create these wonderful images. But you have to do it, right? You have to just go and do it and then see for yourself how does the theory connect to like the actual output. And I, I feel like, yeah, the the world we live in today is, you know, we're lucky because information is freely available. Like you almost don't have to pay for this. So it's, yeah, we're in a good space, I think. <laughs> Welcome to the Product Management Chat Podcast. The podcast where I, or we, will get to learn product management fundamentals from product people. Today's episode is about the AI that we all talk about, which is generative AI. A lot of us rave about what gen AI can do, right? How it can write code, write music, crack jokes, diagnose rare conditions, create outline for presentations, and even generate images, which is one of the cool new features of PixArt. Their mobile app allows creators to make images from a word, phrase, or sentence. So, our guest speaker is Valerie Gan, Gen AI Product Manager of PixArt. Valerie has launched AI product features, she talked about the challenges of the experience, and how we can all get started in learning Gen AI, and what are the resources that are good. Another part of our conversation is about launching features and improvements on a product with over 100 million DAO. PixArt has massive monthly active, daily active users. Their new feature, called Spaces, is about community that's based on interest. It's about enabling their users to interact with other like-minded users or creators. Really love chatting with her, so without further ado, let's jump right in. You have been a Gen Gen AI product manager at PixArt for a year now. You just celebrated your one-year anniversary in there. Congratulations. Um, you started Thank in you. there as a digital product lead, and now you're the Gen AI product manager. So could we start this conversation by you sharing us what you currently do? Yeah, um, I don't think there is such thing as a Gen AI product manager, to be honest. Um, it's mostly because I'm working in the Gen AI space, and I think that kind of helped, you know, build into what I want to work on next. 
But how I started was two years ago in Pixar, actually as a senior product designer. Um, and I was designing, you know, Pixar's web um, products. And that's where we wanted to go from mobile to web. But then I soon realized that actually what I really wanted to do was to be in product, like typically be a product manager because I've had um, a background in product management previously. So that's kind of how I transitioned into product within Pixar. But um, how I became a Gen AI product manager was mostly Pixar is very focused in AI right now. Everything we do, we want to leverage AI. So kind of everybody in Pixar has to have um, the interest, number one, in AI. But number two is we have to upskill um, in using AI in our day-to-day, -day, but also building, you know, AI products. So I would say like it is quite a fun space to be in because we are building AI products for not only our users, but we are also learning how to use AI um, in our day-to-day. -day. Like obviously ChatGPT is like the main tools that I use day-to-day -day for everything. <laughs> um, but then, you know, when you want to create like wonderful products like photo editing, text editing, that's when you also come to using um, AI to help. Nice. So it's going to be an exciting conversation. Um, This whole AI thing has been around since the 1950s, they say. But uh, the AI that we talk about today is gener generative AI. And, you know, ChatGPT has taken the world by storm ever since it has launched. And so, yeah, it's just amazing to know what a generative AI can do. And so since um it's been a year now that you are the gen ai product manager um i imagine that you have launched some features you just mentioned earlier that um pixart is uh into ai so could you share how the experience has been for you in launching um ai features yeah so a year ago i would say i didn't have knowledge of ai like you know ai it's what you see in the movies right like ai is it's the robot um but ever since you know ChatGPT came about it was very easy for all of us to actually you know dabble with ai as like the first you know experience into that space but at Pixar what we did was a lot of our product managers obviously we have our own in-house research team and then we have our own in-house data scientists and AI scientists so a lot of our knowledge comes from the teams inside um, so a year ago a lot of us were upskilling in this area where we not only had to learn you know about Gen AI the, the broader topic but we actually have to learn how to use it um, because how else can you build tools um, without understanding what goes behind the scene? So for example, prompt engineering is very popular, right? So we have to learn how to write great prompts or what is a great prompt? And then what is a negative prompt? You know, like creating a simple photo editing capability that allows users to just type a text and then spit out a wonderful image it's it looks easy but actually behind the scenes there's a lot of us just like writing random prompts and like testing and testing and testing so that the image that the user gets on the outside is not like somebody with five fingers or somebody with you know um like a distorted nose so my latest feature that i launched actually about maybe 
three, four months ago now as, as, as part of a hackathon project where we use um, AI to generate very cool fonts and cool textiles. Um, and you can kind of just tell the AI or, you know, our AI that we built was, you know, generate me fonts that, you know, is delicious. It looks like chocolate. It has, you know, mm. kind of like dripping, um, all of those things. And it comes, I mean, I won't, I won't say it's perfect yet, but when we first started that project, it was, it was ridiculous. It was like hours and hours of writing prompts to get to one great outcome. So I think... AI sounds scary from the outside, but actually on the inside, when you're working on it, you just have to kind of break it down into like, what what can you do, you know, with what we have today? Mm, that, and did you face um, some resistance or skepticism, if not from your stakeholders, your users, as an example, regarding the use of AI features and how did you overcome it? Um, I think it depends on the type of features we launch. So for example, our photo editing capability was obviously to generate um, images with text. Mm -hmm. And while I wasn't directly with the product manager on that feature, I know that we did face a lot of challenges, one in getting the right output that the user wants. So they have an image in their head what they want to generate and what we actually generated was not correct or maybe not as accurate as what they wanted to be. So then the feedback was like, I will not pay for this. This is really crap, you know, like I've asked for, you know, this skin color, but you gave me this other skin color. So there's a lot of like, obviously, when I say resistance, it's probably because it's not as accurate as what they wanted it to be. Um, and then in terms of like actual, I don't think people were like resisting AI, but more like people were resisting, you know, the, the kind of bad output that the AI can actually produce. Um, but also in terms of like, you know, challenges, there's a lot of challenges. That's why you have to kind of like put the human behind this product and actually go like, do not allow um, the product to say bad words. Like you have to set all these restrictions. Like do not allow the product to say things that are, you know, inappropriate, racist, and, you know, actually lead down to like a path. So that's kind of some of the challenges we face. Um, but obviously it's, it's, you know, we're all learning in this space. So I'm sure every other people who are building products with AI are also facing the same problems. Mm, I see, but uh, it's good to hear that there's not a lot of resistance then from your users um, after all, and also your stakeholders. And earlier when you said that Pixart is um, adaptive to AI, like when did it start? Like a lot of companies or products right now, I imagine are uh, would love to integrate AI into their existing products but they don't know how so in Pixart um when did it start to embrace AI into the uh, technology oh I think if you ask my founder he would say he has been an AI professor for a long time so in the 90s back to the beginning of time um but I think we truly started to embrace AI maybe in the last one and a half years, two years. Um, maybe at the at the start of two years when I joined the company, it was it wasn't AI was not a talk at all. But it was like, how can we be more efficient? What's the future? You know, we we had talks about that. 
like building to scale. But maybe in the last one year, I remember 2022, December, maybe Avatar. I don't know, were you part of that phase where we had um, a crazy AI avatar trend? And that was when we really took off because we also jumped on the trend and we tried to create avatars for everybody. And I think that's when we truly embraced AI. I think that year... Um, where we tried to catch up with the AI avatar trend and all the other trends out there in the market that you can see today. Yeah, it's, it's interesting to hear. Your founder is an AI professor back in the 90s. So um, yeah. Yeah. that he's uh, paving the way for um, you and the team then. And so um, most product managers or product leaders nowadays are trying to keep up with AI. And I saw that um, you have been to the uh, product con um, event in which one, you mentioned that one of your favorite um, talk is uh, the one with booking.com in which uh, that person uh, talked about the Gen AI thing. And so on your case, what would you recommend are the books, resources, or courses that anyone could take um, to get started with Gen AI? Yeah, I think it's one, having a true interest in technology. And it doesn't necessarily need to be AI related, right? Like having an interest in technology already means that you are interested in where this goes, right? So naturally it covers AI. Um, and then in terms of keeping up with trends, I mean, there's a lot of community, like topics around this so going to product con itself expose you to a lot of ai conversations like booking.com guy was talking about like truly harnessing gen ai in building your features today like how can you use ai to help users get to not just a value but like get to a user value and then get them to pay for it so people obviously today i think can think about the future in a way like what can AI do for you it's unthinkable like I was trying to build my own chat GPT <laughs> uh, custom um, bot thing and I was like what what do I want AI to do for me and I think it comes back to maybe things like you know helping me invest or helping me do like you know personal finance things that I typically you know find it hard to do like that's what I want AI to kind of give me some advice right um, but in terms of knowledge gathering I feel like immersing yourself in the space of people who work in this is, is truly one of the better ways because then you kind of absorb what they know um, and secondly working in the space so if you can you know get yourself in companies that truly want to harness the power of AI it's already the way to go because everything you build will be AI based and AI led or you know or with the usage of AI and I think courses, courses help because then it gives you the foundation and it gives you the theory. Um, but I feel like when it comes to application, it's still like you're going to have to learn it on the job as well. So like even when I did, you know, the courses on how to use automatic 1111, you know, stable diffusion, it was also like... It was it was a lot to read and you, you kind of like go to reddit and you're like scanning how do people create these wonderful images but you have to do it right you have to just go and do it and then see for yourself how does the theory connect to like the actual output and i i feel like yeah the the world we live in today is you know we're lucky because information is freely available like you almost don't have to pay for this so it's 
yeah, we're in a good space, I think. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, thank you. Shifting gears a little bit, um, about Pixar, aside uh, from the fact that it has um, uh, this AI powered tools, uh, it's also known for um the monthly active users that it has like i saw an article the other day that you know um it could be a better alternative for canva and so um <laughs> could you also share um because aside from the gen ai product manager that you are now you were also um a uh product manager like a uh, digital product lead so could you also share how you um launch features and improvements on the product with a lot of users. I imagine you've got like millions of DAO. Yeah, so I think that's very interesting because it's very tricky when we have, we actually do have about maybe 120 million monthly active users. And so launching features for that many users is risky. One, it, it could go really south overnight. Um, and secondly, you know, who do you listen to, right? Not everybody has the same opinion and the feedback could be, you know, I want this feature, I want that feature. So for us, at least in Pixar, in um, the team that I worked in, is that we try and analyze the research and try and analyze the impact um, of all these demands or, you know, critical pain points that we truly will move the needle for 120 million people because we can't, we can't you know, make everybody happy. But at the mm -hmm. end of the day, when you analyze the, the user journey, you start to see what makes sense um, and, and what will make sense for 120 million users. And so for us, launching any new feature is very critical that we do A-B testing and we always try and do A-B testing in countries that are the highest impact. So that could be for us is the US market, um, the European market. And obviously, you know, typically we have like countries that perform really well, which, which is Vietnam, Malaysia, you know, all, all of these other um, look, more localized market, we call it. So when we do A-B testing, we try and segregate this kind of feature launch to these specific markets, and then we see what the impact is. Um, oftentimes, we see that, you know, in the U.S. market, it performs really well when it comes to premium features, but it doesn't perform really well, you know, in like countries like India, where the, the propensity to pay is actually not very high. So then we made a decision, do we launch it globally or do we try and launch it first to the US learn more and then tweak as we go so it's very tricky oftentimes SPMs I get very excited and I just want to kick it out there into the market um, but you know when when you try and do this A-B test you start to see that okay like not everybody appreciates this people need to take time to learn um, then maybe it's a new navigation maybe it's a new um way of you know how you add text to the canvas so for me the a b testing is very important um before we launch any features um and then even after that you have to decide you know if the a b don't perform what are your next steps so i think to launch to that many users you kind of have to like really go tier by tier Mm, nice. So A-B testing, that's one of your uh, quantitative techniques uh, when you um, launch features and improvements on a product with such millions of DAO. Uh, what about for qualitative techniques? Um, what are uh, some of your tactics that you have done or your team has done um, in improving that? 
Yeah, so at Pixar, we have a strong research team that does a lot of the, um, I want to say, research findings. So they do a lot of like, you know, not just test research, but actually speaking to our users. So in 2022, 2023, we did like a massive amount of work in interviewing a lot of users from consumers to users who are like, you know, in a small business and users who potentially work in larger teams because we actually try to now understand these user groups because Pixar has been in the business for 10 years and we were predominantly in the consumer space. So now we're trying to move into like other space. So we have interviewed, you know, endlessly all of these user groups and we try and see what are the pain points that we're not solving today. And then as part of our teams, we go there and look at this research and go like, all right, you know, we know that these are some other pain points, but what about the opportunities for the user groups that are not using Pixar today? What are they using? Where are they? You know, they, they're probably using Canva, right? Mm -hmm. And we're like, what does Canva have that we don't have, you know? So like, mm -hmm. we kind of pair it with competitive analysis, pair it with the user research that was done in how and then obviously pair it with app reviews. Like people are not afraid to leave app reviews to say your product is crap. Like fix this ASAP. Um, so we have that. And then we obviously have customer support who then tells us, guys, you know, there is a bug. Obviously bugs we have to fix ASAP because you can't expect people to use if there are bugs, right? So, and then like all of these, you know, then we kind of prioritize into like what is must do today? What is something that we need to think, really think about in terms of like improving the experience? And then what is a new feature request? If it's a new feature request, then it needs a bit more discovery work because like, do we actually need to build this? What problems are we solving for? And who are the users that are asking for these things? So kind of like a combination of all these things. Our A-B test typically tells us, obviously, the quant data, right? Like, are we moving numbers? But it doesn't tell us about how the users are using it. So you then have to go back into user testing and then pair it all back together. Um, but typically, um, the research comes before we even get to the A-B testing. So that's when we're already confident. That's what we needed to build. All right, so what I have here, you interview users, competitive analysis, app reviews, customer support, and prioritization on feature requests. And so just real quick on um, how your team interview users, because again, you have 100, over 100 million DAO. How, do your, how does your team identify uh, which are the, the consumers or the users to interview? Yeah, so we have a lot of things at Pixar. So different teams interview different people. Um, but for the last one year, we have been very focused on interviewing, um, we call it prosumers, which are professional users in a way that they fall under the category that could pay for your apps, right? They, they, they use Pixar more than just a hobby, more than just editing photos. They actually use it for their business. And how we interview 120 million users, obviously we don't, uh, but we try and find users who are um, what we are looking for through, we have a huge community in Pixar. Nobody, know, nobody really knows this, but we have a huge community in Pixar. Basically it's, it's like Instagram, but in Pixar where people post and share. So we have um, the masters community, meaning they are super users of Pixar. So we interview them, we kind of like, choose them through a 
selection of criteria, like, you know, the types of posts they put out, how active they are, what features they're using, depending on what we're trying to understand. So one, we go through our master's users. Two, we use a platform called user testing, typically, where if we just truly want to interview um, people that we don't know, but who could use Pixar. So we could ask, are you using Canva today? Are you using Adobe today? If you are, we want to speak to you. Or are you a digital artist? Are you a creative person? Do you create content? If you are, we want to speak to you. So like we have a lot of criteria on how um, we segregate this user, but typically through in-house and through user testing, it comes into like a whole user database that we can kind of collect from and then interview them kind of periodically. Nice, thank you. And lastly, since this, this relates to what you um did exactly um in Pixar. So what metrics or KPIs did you track to evaluate the successes of those um impact of the features and improvements on the products that you have launched so far? Yeah, I think it's highly dependent on the features that you launch. Um, so each feature has a, its own success metric. Um, but then it will tie back to what is our North Star metric. Our North Star metric at Pixar is typically um, our exports. So app exports, users coming in, we definitely want them to export. Um, and then each feature, depending whether it's a premium feature or not a premium feature, we also sometimes track um, subscriptions through those features. Um, so it, it really depends on the goal of launching um, the, the, the feature and the experiment. It depends on your hypothesis. So for me, as an, an example, uh, was a very, you know, it's an improvement that I launched recently. When I say recent, it feels like a while back now, uh, was we have an existing tool right and it was a, a transformer tool basically users can transform their text quite easily and we realized that the tool has you know you know a significant amount of open rates meaning that people are landing onto the tool but not exporting using that tool basically they're not even applying that tool so we were like there is something going on here but you know when when you observe how you use that tool as well you you kind of had an aha moment like obviously because i don't know how to use this tool like it doesn't teach me how to use this tool so then for me that metric that i wanted to measure in terms of success was conversion metrics so people coming in using that tool and then exporting using that tool so to me, that was like the most important because I want to see whether I've improved um, the conversion of that tool. And we had an improvement and, and we definitely improved it um, by double the amount of users using it because we just improve a very tiny thing. We just say, we taught the user how to use it. And, um, and so it's like simple things like this, right? It comes down to what you're trying to measure and each time will be different, but that it has to tie back to your North Star metric as well, which is, you know, your app exports. Um, but yeah, it, it, it kind of depends on the goal of what you're trying to improve. Mm, nice. And is there any other, uh, let's say, best practices uh, that you learned uh, throughout the experience of launching features? Um, because I imagine there might be people uh, who are, you know, going to be bombarded with um, dealing with a million of users every day. Any best practices or lessons that you have learned um, that you wish you knew, let's say, beforehand? I think don't get 
for me, a few lessons, right? Number one is don't get attached to your own ideas. Like whenever I see somebody, you know, requesting something and I personally wanted that thing. And so I'm like, yeah, this is exactly what we need to focus on and to, you know, so kind of like pushing my own agenda with the users, you know, kind of backing it. That's how I, I would say. And because at the end of the day, it's clouding your, your your judgment on like, is that truly the feature that you need to launch? Or is that truly where you need to spend your team's time? So I think as product managers, uh, we tend to put our own ideas into other people's heads and we try to push our own agenda. Um, so that's number one. Number two is we try and find every ways to justify why we should launch this feature, even when the A-B test is saying, the signs are not right but you're like yeah but maybe you know maybe and so I think we're trying to find every piece of evidence to back your data or, or your feature launch so I think that's kind of like what I've learned is you know don't get too attached to some of these ideas that you have and sometimes you are wrong like you can be very wrong and kind of go back go back to um why why you actually wanted to launch this and why did you even choose so go back to research pair it with data and then maybe you're missing a point here right that maybe the drop is actually something else so I think those were like some of my hard learnings where I was I was just too stubborn and I really want the feature to go and then you know it doesn't perform and then I have to like kind of re-roll re-roll back everything so it's hard lesson learned I guess mm -hmm. thank you for sharing that and so um yeah just um looking back uh, I saw that um in regards to your experience, uh, well, you are the Gen AI product manager now and a digital product uh, manager before, but your transition has been a lot from sales analyst to product analyst uh, and so on. And then you're in Pixar now, but you have been to like a bank before, like there's HSBC and then there's Westpac. And so Briefly, could you share about um, your transition? Most of the product managers that I've talked to um, uh, has worked in several industries and verticals, which you did as well. So um, yeah, uh, how the experience has been in regards to transition from banking to Pixar and from sales analyst to product analyst to gen AI product manager and so on. Yeah, I think it has been an interesting journey for me, mostly because I feel like a lot of it does sound a bit like, you know, like a curly thing going on in my career. But at the same time, it, it's not because I went from investment banking to fintech and then from fintech into now tech world, right? So I think if you draw that connection between each of these, there are transferable skills. So my experience so far has been to leverage that transferable skills, which each role that I go to next. So from banking, I actually went into building a platform for bankers. So it was like, I knew everything on the other side, right? I was the user before. So when I transitioned into product, I was like, I can help you build this because I was once the user. And so I kind of like leveraged that skill. Obviously the, the, the actual physical skills or the technical skills required, you need to level up, but it's not something you can't learn on the job. The key is to be really open-minded and also to tell everybody that you, you know, you come from a different background and now you're willing to learn this new you know, space um, and how you can use your previous knowledge um, to actually apply. 
And then coming in from fintech into like, you know, PexArt was also another transition because all I ever knew was finance. Uh, but now I have the skills on how to launch product and design products. So then I leverage that skill into the, you know, the new area because I was like, it's probably going to be the same thing where I interview users, I do research, there's discovery. So this part now I'm like kind of, you know, very focused on my technical skills in executing rather than the domain knowledge. Like domain knowledge, then now I have to pick up. Previously, I was relying on my domain knowledge, but now I'm relying on my technical like skill set. So, and I think the what really helped me in my career in all this sidestepping that I was saying earlier was, you know, like being very open to people that what skills you have and what skills you don't have and you're willing to kind of pick up and definitely don't be afraid to tell people that you have the right skills. Um, and sometimes that like, people are not aware. If they look at your CV, then they're just not aware, right? Like mm-hmm. maybe you have the right skills, maybe you don't. But um, I think that career transition for me was an eye-opener. Now that I've sidestepped like three times, I feel like I can sidestep even more um, because it's possible. It's very possible. And the world is changing. So you just have to kind of be brave, be bold and be ready to learn the new areas that you need to go into. Um, and then kind of like put up your hand for other things. So that's that's more of my philosophy anyway. I, I put up my hand for like random things and, and kind of got to here and now learning AI. So a year ago, <laughs> I wouldn't have thought about it, right? So now, yeah, you kind of embrace the things that are thrown at you. Nice. So what's six for you? I mean, you may have just started to learn AI as of now, but um, any career aspirations that you have in mind for 2024 or anything I think I think I'm going to definitely write the AI I won't say it's a trend I think it's here to stay but I'm definitely going to try and write that and I think it's mostly because also I I feel interested like I feel like AI can really uplift everything we do in our day-to-day what's next for me as you know from my career I think the natural step is, you know, to lead a team, um, whether it's this year, next year, you know, probably, it, you know, it's the natural, next logical step. And I think I would also want to kind of move into more like, because I'm not managing anyone. So not just leading a team, but leading, you know, a group of people, product people into like, you know, the next, next space of like product. So I'm thinking around that space. And with that, we've concluded our third episode. Thank you for tuning in with me as I learn about the fundamentals of product management. If you loved the episode like I did, kindly follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other podcast platforms. Tomorrow, I'll be dropping another episode about how product manager is like a spy or a double agent. Kinda intriguing, I know, but I promise my next guest will help uncover that. Alright, thanks again for listening. Chat soon.